Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. You know, we were talking uh, after the federal election, and really, you know, who was the big winner other than perhaps the block? Um, the conservatives picked up seats but didn't go as far as they wanted to. The liberals obviously lost their majority. The NDP making a big stink in the polls, yet uh, lost 20 seats as well. So, you know, at the end of the day, really the Bloc in Quebec were, were really the only big winners. And lots of chatter uh, uh, about leadership after an election. This, is, this always happens. And, of course, it's happening for Andrew Scheer. Uh, many thought after the election that he's not progressive enough for his stance on, on gay issues and the pride parade and such. Now, uh, the other side is speaking up and those that got him elected, uh, the social conservative side. Uh, are saying that he didn't go far enough. He's not conservative enough. So it appears like he's getting it from both ends. Let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure, Scott. Is is Andrew Shear getting it from both ends now? Yeah, pretty much. He really is. It's interesting. Um, it's it's fascinating to see that a lot of social conservative groups and individuals who were very much in favor of him and supported his leadership are now opposing him. But this, unfortunately, is something that I've told you and others in the past, is that in the conservative movement, which I've been part of most of my life, uh, there is a tendency at times, if things don't go perfectly, to start eating your own, so to speak, yeah. which means that you start going after people, including like-minded people as well, as we're seeing here. So it's unfortunate, but I've seen this story happen and unfold so many times before. I'm not terribly shocked. I just don't know how we'll finish up. How does he keep both sides happy? Does he have an ally anywhere in this mess? Yeah, you know, it's difficult. I think any political leader will say you're you're basically in this game to try to bridge both ends or several ends, depending on how big your party is and how many different groups there are in within it. To just, for example, call yourself a conservative and leave it it at that is not accurate. I know that some people would prefer it that way, but it's, it's not the way it happens. There are different types of conservatives, as there are different types of liberals, different types of New Democrats, etc. So the, the job of the leader is to make sure that everybody is happy, or at least create some sort of a atmosphere where it all looks like they're happy for an extended period of time. And that's not easy to do for any good leader. It's certainly not easy to do for a bad leader, so to speak, or someone who doesn't operate like a unifier or only can do it temporarily and then drops out. For Andrew Scheer, the big problem is he's now getting, as you said, attacked from both ends. It doesn't mean he can't survive it. It is possible. But it's getting more difficult when people you sort of thought were your allies or people or groups and individuals that you trusted beforehand are now turning on you too, at least to some extent anyway. Is this more ammo for the progressives in the party who are saying, see, look, he doesn't even appeal to that side? You know, it might be. Look, this is also a bit of a misnomer, and I'm planning on doing some writing about it because I think people are really misinterpreting this quite badly. They're really, you know, I know that we use the term progressive conservative. It's not a real term. It was created when John Bracken, the progressive leader of Saskatchewan, wanted to run, or basically the federal party wanted him to become their leader, and he said that the only way he would do it was if they would change their name, which at that point was Conservative Party of Canada, to Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, and that's why it stuck for so long. There really is no such thing as a progressive conservative. There are red Tories. 
but red Toryism or left-leaning conservatism as a movement really does not exist in this country. So I don't really know what the quote-unquote progressives are looking for. And also people who call themselves progressive-minded in the Conservative Party are fooling themselves to some degree. The, the progressivity or the progressivism that they espouse is something that a lot of conservatives idealize, and many of them don't call themselves progressives to do it. But if they feel that they're going to gain more power this way, the small group of them, they can certainly try. The problem is that if they put forward a leader that sort of meets with their values, that being more of a, a social moderate or a social liberal on certain issues, like gay marriage, abortion, capital punishment, etc., and they think that that's going to change everything, or that Canadian voters who are sitting on the fence right now are suddenly going to wake up and say, well, the Conservative Party has changed, now they're open, you know, open for business, open for my vote, open for my support. Again, it's, I just don't think people really buy into that. I think what they want or what they need is a conservatism that would be beneficial, not just for members, but also for the country, which was called incremental conservatism, which is what Stephen Harper believed in, supported, and won three straight elections with, which is conservatism gradually coming up. So in other words, not too hard one way, not too fast one way, not too slow, but just at a right pace where people are comfortable in terms of the way they're handling things with the size of government, their tax rates, how they can support their families, traditional values, etc. That model was extremely successful, Scott, and I think it needs to be brought back. The problem is that Andrew Scheer and his supporters have moved so far away from it as of right now that it becomes very difficult for them to basically grab the rope and come back to it. It's not impossible. It can be done. But they're unfortunately, they're starting to break away, whereas elements of the party are now starting to move in another direction. But the end result is going, to, is going to really, I think, in the end, turn off a lot of people and cause an enormous amount of division in this party. And Canadians are going to sense it and see it as it publicly happens. Uh, we've talked about this before, uh, both provincially and federally. Uh, liberals keep veering to the left to cut off the NDP whenever the NDP or the Greens seem to be showing any sort of gain whatsoever. Yeah. Okay. And just keep slowly and slowly moving things farther and farther uh, to the left. Yeah. Um, do, do conservatives realize that the, there's a gaping hole in the center, as some may perceive Sheer as too far to the right in his, uh, in his, with his social views of conservatism? But remember, this is not the Andrew Sheer party. He is not the person in charge of it. No, but he's the one representing, and he's the one that has the megaphone, so he's the one that everybody looks to. Most people don't look at the conservative party and look beyond the leader. Yeah, I know that, but they should. And you have to be realistic about it. This is a party, not a one-man band. And then that's really something that I think a lot of people forget as time goes along. If you go back and... Yeah, but that's not the people's problem, Michael. That's not the people's problem. That's the party's. They were two wings. That's the party's problem. And you align them. That's how it works. Yeah, but that's the party's problem to make sure that their message is heard. It's not up to the public to go and try to find the message beyond the leader. Well, yeah, but unfortunately, it's, it's occasionally comments like the one you've just made and others who keep saying that everything is linked to Andrew Scheer. Yes, Andrew Scheer has his own personal set of values. Some of them are melded with people who are party members or supporters like me, and others are not. But in the, in, at the end of the day, he's even said himself on multiple occasions that whatever his personal views are, you know, you, have to, you can't just govern by fiat. You have to govern 
as a unit, and that's what a political party is. I don't see a powerful position one way or the other on issues like abortion, gay marriage, etc. In fact, if you actually look at the party's constitution, that being the Conservative Party's constitution, there actually is no measure that exists there. It's been just a made-up element that people have come out with claiming that there's this hidden myth or that there's all these this hidden agenda that's going to pop out if someone like an Andrew Scheer ever became... But that's the Conservative Party letting the opposition paint the narrative, and does that not all come back to the leader? But that, no, it doesn't all come back to the leader, and unfortunately comes back to the central unit, which is the opposition leader's office. So the party lost the election, not Andrew Scheer? Sorry? So the party lost the election, not Andrew Scheer? Well, of course. There's not just one person in charge of this party. There are many people who are a part of it. No, but many said that this was the many said that this was the Conservative Party's election to lose. That that Prime Minister Trudeau had done so much damage to himself. All you had to do was go in there with a solid leader, and and the Conservatives would have won. That didn't happen. People are pinning that on the leader. So I don't agree with that at all. Firstly, this this election was not expected to be there. So. Sometimes you build in a, a party and a, and a leadership and a, an, elite, an opposition office in certain ways, and sometimes you actually build it for survival. This was kind of in the middle, and everything sort of kind of fell their way. They got lucky with the brown-faced, black-faced controversy and various other things, or even the two-plane controversy as well, and it hammered him to some degree. They didn't run a bad campaign, because if you look at it, they went up 26 seats, and they actually finished first overall in terms of the popular vote. That's not a bad election. The problem is that none of the leaders, no political leader, really shined at all. In fact, all of them stumbled in certain places or had huge mistakes or made errors on the campaign trail or said stupid things that they had to take back, and that was the problem. So you're right. Had there been this beacon of light who had been leading the Conservative Party, or any party for that matter, would things have been different? Perhaps. And perhaps not. Maybe Canadians were just not ready to move away from the Liberal Party quite yet, in spite of the way Justin Trudeau was acting, in spite of the fact that he's a mediocre leader, and in spite of the fact that he is an uninspiring fellow. And it astonishes me that Canadians continue to vote for something like this. They should be looking at themselves in the mirror and wondering why. But did Andrew Scheer do enough to become Prime Minister of this country? Absolutely. Did he? No. And that's why the party is reflecting. Uh, obviously unloaded two top aides uh, just last week. Um, now uh, we have Stephen Harper's former communications director saying on Monday that if the conservative leader wants to keep his job, he should step down and run for the position again. Your thought on that? Yeah, no, I know that Corey tonight has said it. And with all due respect to Corey, who I've known a long time and get along with, I don't agree whatsoever. Andrew Scheer was democratically elected as the leader of this party, and he doesn't have to step down for anybody. He will go into the April leadership review, and basically it's very simple. If they want him to stay as leader, he will. If they don't, they will basically vote him down. He will have to resign pretty promptly thereafter, and they will have a leadership convention to pick somebody new. That's how it works. The way Tanike and other people are basically suggesting, or what they're suggesting now, is because Andrew Scheer did not win the election and has not been able to basically survey the damage and fix things up in the past few weeks, and with different sorts of groups from both the left of the party and the right of the party now coming after him, you know, he should do the honorable thing and leave. I Firstly, I don't think it is honorable to leave. And secondly, even though there certainly is a lot of attacks and various attacks swirling around him, 
a good leader and his team can actually work through this, meet with people, discuss issues, and get past this. It has happened before. The key is whether he can or not. But should he step down as leader of the party? Absolutely not. All right, let's talk about uh, the, the CN strike, which is uh, t- a tentative deal has been uh, reached. It looks like everything back to normal come Wednesday at 6 a.m. I found it very ironic that considering Quebec has been quite standoffish to Alberta, yeah. that they were the first ones to complain that they weren't getting any propane to, uh, to keep their, 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 uh, their farm products warm. Right. Um, is anybody drawing this to a pipeline? Or I mean, certainly Jason Kenney spoke up and said, hey, we got tons of propane to, sell, uh, to send you. Does this add any more to the discussion of how we need a pipeline to help uh, uh, get this product transported as opposed to just putting it on a rail car all the time and weaving it through towns? Well, yeah, and I mean, it should be realistic. And I didn't think we need this crisis to figure out the need for more pipelines in Canada. It's really just a tiresome argument that a lot of groups, mostly on the left and mostly pro-environmental, have been making in terms of building a pipeline. All they do is put roadblocks in front of something that would actually benefit society. And if they really want to have a piece of the puzzle or a hand in the building of it, then they should try to look at it in a more constructive fashion than just opposing it over and over again. But look, the irony here, as you know, is that when, um, when Francois Legault, the Quebec premier, was actually on the campaign trail briefly with Justin Trudeau and others, when he was actually speaking out or being asked questions, or he, you know, when they typically go to a premier to ask, are you going to be outwardly supporting anyone or not? Legault basically piped in and said that he fully agreed with Justin Trudeau's national carbon tax and wanted to work with him to help things like that. And when it comes to issues like pipelines, I'm not saying that Mr. Legault has necessarily said, no, we don't want them, but he has not certainly enthusiastically raised his hand and said, yes, that actually makes sense. I would hope that this whole issue and the CN rail strike and the fact that they came, in his words, about two or three days away from having absolutely no propane in the province, which would have been a complete disaster for the province, um, I hope he's learned his lesson. I hope he understands now how important pipelines are to this country, and I hope we don't hear this again anytime soon. I don't know why they're not using... Ontario is going to be next in a few days' time, or a few months' time. Ontario's now sort of getting into that issue, so the good news is Premier Doug Ford believes in building pipelines, so maybe Ontario won't see something like this happen. I'm not sure why they're not using clean hydroelectricity, which they have such an abundance of to to solve this problem, but I guess that's another issue. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. I wanted to get your feeling on Christia Freeland uh, meeting with Jason Kenney. It seems to be quite cordial. He seems to be happy to have her there and such. Can she reunite the country? (laughs) Absolutely not. But, I mean, they're doing the right thing in front of the cameras and they're doing the right thing publicly. Look, my syndicated column this week, which actually ran today on Troy Media, talks about the fact that Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau met and how it was better than expected and why this puzzled some people. But there's really no puzzle to it. Much like the meeting with Christia Freeland and Jason Kenney, they're playing the game properly, which is the federal election is over. The liberals have been reelected. Yes, with a minority government, but they're still in power. There have been a lot of issues between these two provinces, Ontario and Alberta, with the federal government, primarily over the national carbon tax, but other issues as well. But now, for the next little while, they have to, you know, keep the lines of communication open, deal with one another, 
publicly try to look like they're either going to work together or try to work together and see what happens. There will always be discussions, there will always be debates, there will always be disputes. But what Freeland and Kenny, just to use that example, are doing is the right thing. Just because the West, that being Alberta and Saskatchewan in particular, have no seats in the current federal liberal government, it doesn't mean that they're going to block any sort of lines of communication with the liberals on various issues. They should speak and they should meet regularly or irregularly to discuss issues of national importance or provincial importance. So, no, I'm not shocked that they had a good meeting. I'm not shocked that they did it. I'm not shocked that they were smiling. And I'm not shocked that they looked like they were going to work together. When moments happen for collaboration, they will definitely do it. But at the same time, governments still have to work together, even if the personalities involved don't particularly like each other. I don't know what Kenny and Freeland think of one another, but certainly based on the fact that there have been a lot of issues with Western alienation, Wexit, if you'd like, or even Western separatism on a lighter fashion, it's made things tense, but it doesn't mean they shouldn't work together, and they will. Uh, people have expressed shock that Doug Ford has come forward as a unifier, trying to unite the country and such. Um, uh, are people buying into this? Uh, why this new, again, I'm sure it's very similar to what you said in regard to Jason Kenney and Christy Freeland, right. but are you surprised at this new role for the Premier? No, as I said to you, the, my column about Ford and Trudeau, Ford was doing the same thing <clears throat> as Trudeau was as well, both saying the right things. And the fact that, yes, there will be times where we disagree, but we're going to work together. That was both of their themes of their discussion with reporters. It's something I'm sure they talked about privately, although there were obviously other things discussed that the cameras wouldn't catch. But no, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And yes, is Doug Ford trying to reinvent himself? I think so. Hmm. You know, he had a good first year as premier. wasn't perfect. There were a lot of mistakes. There were a lot of things that were handled very poorly in terms of communications, media relations, etc. And there were some difficult interpersonal relations that he had, not just with Justin Trudeau and the federal government, but even just basically sort of as a, you know, Ford being looked upon as a standoff, a standoffish character right. who just kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer, so to speak. And, you know, whether that's fair or not, Doug Ford is also in this game to be his premier as long as he wants. He doesn't want this to be a one-term position, Scott. He wants to be in there as long as he possibly can. So if that is the case and he needs to reinvent himself, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of defeat. It's actually being a smart politician because doing something like that is smart politics. So could Doug Ford be a unifier? I don't know. I don't know if anyone can necessarily be a unifier. But can Doug Ford play an important role in the building of this country and building relations between the provinces and the federal government as much as Jason Kenney, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan and others? Absolutely. Why not? Michael Tobe has been with us. You can read his latest at Troy Media, where he is a syndicated columnist and contributor to The Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Have a great day. You too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.